Um, we'll be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, and that's page 812 in the Bibles around the room. I'm going to read the scripture, and then when I'm done, I'll say, this is a reading of God's word, and you'll respond by saying, thanks be to God. And we respond that way because we are very thankful that God has revealed himself to us. Matthew chapter 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray, church. God, we come before you today, humbled in your righteousness, covered in your holiness. Help us to be obedient and give us hearts of repentance when we stray. Help us to turn from our sin before we attack another for theirs. Give us wisdom by your Holy Spirit. Cleanse us from unholy things. Be with us today as we dive into your word. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your church. We thank you for Pastor Kyle, your servant. Be with him. Rest on his spirit as he teaches your perfect scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing today? <clears throat> Next week is going to be a great week because it's daylight savings and we gain an hour of sleep. Amen? That is one of my favorite days of the entire year. And so don't show up at your normal time. Show up an hour later. Uh, my name is Kyle. If you're a guest with us, welcome to Living Stones. One of the reasons that, uh, if, if you're new to church, the reason why that we, we gather on Sunday is because Jesus resurrected on a Sunday. And God has said in the Bible that there is no longer, because of the work of Jesus, a temple that you need to go to to meet with God. In fact, the people of God, when they gather together to worship Jesus, are the temple. And what that means is today we are here for the primary purpose of meeting with God. This is not a country club. This is not a hobby. We are here to meet with the living God of the universe. Amen, church? And he has spoken to us in the Bible. And so at Living Stones, we love the Bible, and we're going through Matthew uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7, which is Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. So if you don't have a Bible, open, um, open it up to Matthew chapter 7, which is on page 812 in the Bibles that we said around the room. Now today, we get to one of uh, people's favorite verses. <laughs> Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. Judge not that you be not judged. This is one of people's favorite verses, but it's kind of ironic because we love to judge. Entertainment shows us that. Think about all of the TV shows that are about judging. You have Judge Judy. She's my favorite. You have the People's Court, Judge Mathis, Divorce Court. Uh, and then you even have shows like The Voice or uh, America's Got Talent or The Bachelor. 
They're all about judging. And we love watching them because we love to judge. We don't want just Judge Judy pronouncing judgment. We're giving our opinion too. So it's kind of ironic that we love this verse. And, you know, in things like competitions and stuff like that, judging can be uh, pretty fun. But it's devastating in relationships. And Jesus is ending his Sermon on the Mount. Uh, He's taking a shift in this chapter 7, and he's talking about how we should live in light of relationships. And what you have to understand is the whole purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus is telling us and showing us what it would look like for his kingdom to be made visible on earth. And he's saying, if my kingdom's going to be made visible on earth, then my people need to be people who aren't walking around casting condemnation and judgment on others. Because my kingdom is not a kingdom of condemnation. It's a kingdom of salvation. And so the big idea that I think Jesus, I'm going to paraphrase Jesus here, and he's saying this, quit judging, start loving. That's the big idea for today. Quit judging, start loving. We're going to look at it uh, in three, three things. We're going to say, what is Jesus really saying here? How does it affect us? And why does it matter? So first of all, what is he really saying? Um, he says three things. The first thing I think he's getting at is simply this. Your self-righteous judgment needs to stop. If you're going to be one of my people, your self-righteous judgment needs to stop. 7-1 is right here. Judge not that you be not judged. Now, when Jesus is saying this, he's not talking about all types of judgment. We need to make judgments in order to live. To make a judgment is simply to choose one thing over another. It's to choose what's right and what's wrong. So you need to make judgments in order to live. You need to make a judgment when you get dressed in the morning, what you should wear and shouldn't wear. There's things that we shouldn't wear. Uh, You need to make a judgment when you eat in the morning, when you go to work. You need to make a judgment on choosing your friends, uh, choosing what to do, what's right, what's wrong. There's all kinds of judgments. And Jesus isn't saying you stop all types of judgments. And that's what sometimes people think when they read verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. But they try to separate it from the following verses, which are these. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? And how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye? When there's a log in your own eye, you hypocrite. So what Jesus is getting at here is he's not saying you need to stop all types of judgments. What what kind of judgment is he saying you need to stop? Self-righteous judgment. Self-righteous judgment. And he gives us two reasons. The first reason is this. Because the same measure of judgment you used will be measured against you. And that should be terrifying. Because if we walk around uh, casting condemnation on other people, what he, was saying, what he is saying is, if this is your attitude to go around and be condemning other people and, and establishing yourself above them, guess what's going to happen to you when you get and stand before the presence of God? He's going to cast condemnation on you. Now, all you theological neatniks might be freaking out right now because you might be saying, wait a second. I thought we were saved by faith and faith alone. I thought we're not saved by our actions or how we treat other people. It's just simply faith in Christ. And I get that. But what Jesus is saying is there is a correlation to your understanding of the gospel and how you treat other people. 
If you, he's saying, if you really understand the gospel, which is good news, but it starts with bad news. The gospel is the, starts with bad news. You're a sinner. You're messed up. You're far worse than you think. Your actions show it, your words show it, and your thoughts and motives of your heart show it. But God loves you anyways. And the good news is that God chose to come for you and to die for you and to love you regardless of the fact that you have made yourself an enemy of him. He died for you so that you could be adopted into his family. He forgave you. Instead of condemning you, he took condemnation on himself. That's the gospel. And when that, when you really get that, there's no way Jesus is saying that you can walk around dishing condemnation out to other people. Because God didn't dish it out on you. He dished grace out to you, the undeserved gift of love. And that's what, that's what Jesus is saying. So you need to stop your self-righteous judgment. Because if you keep on that path, it will be measured against you. Second reason he says, it's because it's blatant hypocrisy, and everybody can see it. Um, he's saying, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Um, now, I think what Jesus is doing here is Jesus, his occupation before he became, uh, before he started preaching is he was a carpenter. And uh, he was well acquainted with working with logs and, and slivers and getting, you know, cu cutting stuff and the speck of dust getting in your eye. So he knew what he was talking about here. And he's drawing a funny thing. He's saying, why do you notice, this is a toothpick, why do you notice a toothpick that's in your brother's eye when you have a log that's in your own eye? <laughs> it's like, and he said, how can you say to your brother, hey, bro, you got a toothpick in your eye. Let me get that out of there. And he's like, you have a log. Like you would whack him in the head. See, that's what Jesus, he's saying it's blatant hypocrisy and everybody can see it. What he's calling out in us is he's calling out our tendency to be critical towards others, but gracious towards ourselves. And you don't, this, this happens with everybody. A lot of my friends who aren't Christians, they say, that's why I don't like Christians. You're all hypocrites. And I just want to tell you, hypocrisy is not a Christian problem. It's a human problem. We're all hypocrites. And Jesus is saying, you need to deal with your own hypocrisy before you start trying to correct other people. So for example, there's a, a few funny examples that I, I'd like to just highlight. The first one is driving. <laughs> You've been driving before, and you see that person just zooming down the highway and weaving in and out of traffic, and you just, you know, you start calling them cuss names. You're not going to admit it because you're at church, but you do, and you're just, you're, you're throwing out all these words, look at that idiot, blah, 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 and you're giving them the one-finger salute, you know, and it's just like, and then you're just like, that person needs to be more careful, but then the day comes when you're late for work and your dog vomited on the carpet before you had to get to work in that important meeting and you were cleaning it up. And then now you're the one driving to traffic and people are, you know, giving you the California Audi and they're just, you're driving to work and they're yelling at you. And, and what are you saying in your mind? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just late. My dog barfed. If, we, if you would have just known, I, I just got to get to work. 
and you're being a hypocrite. It's a silly example, but it's true. Another silly example is I have a friend, and she works for the forest department, and uh, one of the funny things is sometimes when we're out on family things and she's with us, we're, we're driving through the forest and she always notices that uh, trees are sometimes topped, meaning that the top of the tree is cut off and that really bothers her because it's bad for the forest. And, and then one, a couple years ago, we were out Christmas tree cutting and it took us a long time to find the perfect Christmas tree. And we finally did and we were way away from the truck and she said, well, screw it. I'm just cutting the top of this thing off. And I said, wait a second, we just drove out here through all these trees that you were pointing out and condemning all these people, and now you're doing it. She's like, yeah, but we're really far away from the truck, and I'm not going to do that. (laughs) And so now every time we go out Christmas tree cutting, I just give her a bad time. (laughs) But it's true. We all do this. Now, those are silly examples, but it becomes more real when we do it in relationships. Parents, when you're holding your kids to standards that you yourself are not upholding. Uh, not that long ago, I was sitting with a husband and wife in my office and they're telling me they're, they're going through some struggles in marriage. And uh, he said, the problem is, is because she's not putting God first. She needs to put God first. She needs to be reading the Bible more. She needs to be praying more, yada, yada, yada. And no kidding, in less than 10 minutes later in the conversation, I'm finding out that when he gets angry, he starts cussing her out. And I say to him, bro, How is that putting God first? Does not our Lord call us as husbands to lay down our life for our brides? And you here, you're you're getting mad at her for for not putting God first, but yet you think that it's okay for you to cuss her out when you get angry. It's hypocrisy. It's blatant hypocrisy, and everybody can see it. So, um. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, we we need to stop our self-righteous judgments. And this is one of the things that keep people from wanting to participate in the kingdom of God. I was at the gym the other day, and I have a friend named Joe at the gym, and he said, hey, Kyle, what's the church you pastor again? And I said, Living Stones. I said, you ever going to come? I keep inviting you, but you keep, he's like, maybe, maybe. I'm like, I don't believe you anymore. And he's like, you know what? You know why I don't come? And he said, because I love to hate on churches. Because I have so many friends who say they, they, they follow Jesus, and on Friday night and Saturday night, they're all doing terrible, awful, and then Sunday, they act like nothing happens. He's like, and then I deal with my mom, and she goes to church and comes home a more angry person, more critical person, not a more gracious person. And he's like, y'all are a bunch of hypocrites. That's why I don't want to go to church. And I said, you know what, Joe? You're right. But the, the thing I want to say is Jesus doesn't want that for us. He wants us to be a different kind of people. And so what we need to do is we need to put away our self-righteous judgments. We need to deal with the log in our own eye before we deal with the speck in other people's. And so how that plays out is, uh, you know, we need to stop all of our judging. There's lots of types of judging in the church. We judge each other over what we wear. We judge each other over how we look, what kind of words we use. We judge each other over motives, which is so silly. Well, they're just doing that because they want attention. Or they're just doing that because they want people to, you know, think about them. Or they're just trying to exalt themselves above others. Like, we judge motives all the time, don't we? We judge each other over parenting. Man, that parent is just, they need to whip that kid into shape. 
And yet you yourself are like having those bad days sometimes as a parent. We judge each other over our marriages, over our relationships, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, what kind of vacations we take. We're always judging each other. And what Jesus is saying is put away the scales. My people are not people who walk around with scales trying to see who's better than each other. My people are people who dish out grace not condemnation. So he's saying, quit judging, start loving, okay? The second thing that Jesus is saying in this passage is this. He says, there will be times when you need to correct people, but when you do it, you need to do it with love and integrity. With love and integrity. So the natural question when I say quit judging, you might be saying, well, wait a second. Uh, are we like just, just supposed to let people just go on sinning however they want? I mean, isn't there ever a time to correct a brother or sister? Well, there is. Look at what the Bible says here. Let's look at a handful of verses. First of all, Matthew 18, 15. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Let's look at the next ones. James 5, 19 through 20 says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. How about Proverbs 27, 6? Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. But there is plenty of time to, to uh, call each other out. And then Galatians 6, 1 says this, brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, but keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So there is time to give each other tough love. Um, Profuse are the kisses of an enemy, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. Like there is time to correct one another. But as the Galatians just said, what we need to do is keep a close eye on ourselves first. And that's what Jesus is getting at. When you correct somebody, you need to make sure that you're doing it with love and integrity. You need to take the log out of your eye first. So he isn't saying that you never correct somebody. He's just saying, when you do go to correct somebody, you need to deal with your own blindness first. Because blind people are terrible at helping out other blind people. Um... I think a good example for us in the scriptures is the Apostle Paul. Remember in Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul was a persecutor of the church. And he went on. Jesus had a a way in which he saved him that was quite miraculous. And then uh, Paul went on from being a persecutor of of the church to being one of the greatest missionaries that the church has ever known. And he wrote a bunch of the New Testament. But the first thing that happened to Paul is Jesus knocked him down saved him, and then had him be blind for three days. And I think that that's very interesting because what Jesus was very physically teaching Paul is this. Before you tell other people how to live, you got to deal with your own blindness. You have to face your own faults first. And I think that that's what he's telling us. And so church, family, we're a family. There's going to be times when we hurt each other when we sin against each other, when we go astray and it's destructive towards our lives and others. And it's our job to call each other back. But before we do that, we better be on our knees before God in heaven. We better be taking a close examination of our hearts first. And then once we've taken the plank out of our eye, then it'll be appropriate to deal with 
somebody else's faults and sin. Now, does this mean that you need to have perfect, um, a, a perfect life before you call somebody out? No, because you'll never have a perfect life. Does it mean that your marriage needs to be just the best marriage in the world before you identify problems in a brother or sister's marriage? No, it just means you need to be aware of it and you need to be repenting before God before you even go and talk, tell them to repent. Does that make sense? So when you call each other out, you need to do it with love and integrity. And then the last thing that Jesus is saying in this passage is this, is he's saying, sometimes you're going to call people out and they're not going to want to listen. And so then you need to change your strategy. Look at verse six. This is a really weird verse. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs. I like to say swine. Do not throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Um, what is he saying? That's really weird. It, that, does not that verse like, seem like just dropped in there out of nowhere? Like all of a sudden Jesus is talking about judging people and then he's like talking about dogs and pigs. What's going on here? I, there's a lot of commentators that think that Jesus is switching gears here and now he's talking about the gospel. That he's saying, you need to preach the gospel, but if people don't want to listen, go on and preach elsewhere. I don't think that that's what he's saying. And here's the reason why. Throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount, Jesus always makes a point and then he illustrates it and illustrates it. He never starts a new point with an illustration. And here we have an illustration. And so what I think is, is going on is that Jesus is still talking about correcting and judging one another, and he's making a point on how to do that with an illustration. And you see, what he's saying is, you, do not give what is holy. Do not cast pearls, okay? What is holy in the context of this passage is this, your loving correction and call back to truth. That's what's holy. That's a holy thing to call somebody back to truth, back to God, back to Jesus. Okay, your pearls, in Jewish understanding, he was speaking to a people who were, who were predominantly Jews. Pearls were wisdom. He's saying, don't cast your wisdom out, this, this calling people back to truth, if they're pigs and dogs. Or, excuse me, uh, yeah, pigs and dogs. So what is a pig and dog? Well, in a Middle Eastern culture, we think of pigs and dogs. Like, here we think of pigs and dogs like they're really cute. You know, like piglet, and then you have this little puppy. That's not how they viewed pigs and dogs. To call somebody a dog in the Middle East is one of the lowest terms you could call them. And a pig, for the Jewish culture, they were unclean animals. So they were people who had no interest in doing or being holy. And so um, Jesus is saying basically this. If somebody is hell-bent on doing evil, don't continue your rebukes to call them back to truth because it's not going to work. You need to change your strategy. In other words, Proverbs 9 says it like this, rebuke a wise man and he will love you, rebuke a fool or rebuke a scoffer and he will hate you. And so Jesus is saying this, if you've tried to correct a brother, if you've tried to correct a sister and they're just hell bent on doing evil, don't continue to nag them. Nagging them won't help. You need to change your strategy. You need to surrender them to God and pray that God will have mercy on them. Does that make sense? And so that's what, that's what he's saying here. Um, there's a really cool story of a couple in our church, um, James Perkins and Emma Perkins. And, and Jim is uh, an elder in training at our church, and, and they've been married um, to each other two times. Uh, 
he got, they got married, they divorced. He got married to somebody else, divorced, and then got married back again to Emma. And the way that this happened is the first time he married Emma, uh, they had some problems, and he was acting a fool. He'll tell you about it. And um, he did some terrible things and was acting a fool, and, and she was, you know, loving him and trying to, and then eventually she just said, okay, I had enough. How you're treating me, the things that you've done, you've broken the covenant, this marriage is over. So she changed her strategy. So she told him after they got divorced, she said, I'll wait for you for 10 years. You go grow up and get your act together and I'll wait for you for 10 years and I'll pray for you. And so he goes off, he marries another woman. Things don't go well there either. Um, And then that marriage breaks. And then through a series of, of conversations, he ends up picking up the phone and calling Emma. And guess on what year that he called Emma? Year 10. (laughs) And she takes him back. He, you know, meets Jesus. She takes him back. And then that now they've been married for a long time, for a few decades, right? How long? 21 years now. So my point, my point in this is Emma understood you can't give your pearls to swine. <laughs> you, Emma understood you, you have to, uh, sometimes you have to change your strategy. Sometimes uh, nagging somebody isn't going to help. You have to draw a healthy boundary and you have to turn to prayer and surrendering that person to God. And that's what she did. And, and God was faithful. God was faithful to bring Jim around. And, and that's, that's not our job. Our job is not to bring people around. That's God's job. And so that's that's what Jesus is getting at. So he tells us what it looks like to live in relationship and to correct one another and to first focus on ourselves. Now, how does this affect us? On to my second point for the sermon. How does this affect us? How does dealing with the log in your eye uh, before you deal with the sliver in other people's eye, how does that affect you? How does correcting your brother in love affect you? How does surrendering those people to God affect you? There's four ways. First of all, it humbles you. It humbles you. When you have to deal with a log in your eye first before you deal with the splinter in their eye, it humbles you. And that causes you to treat people with honor rather than disrespect. And I think it's really cool that Jesus wants his people to be a people who treat people, who treat others with honor rather than disrespect. A handful of years ago, there was a pastor who's gone on to plant another church in Oregon. His name is Rick Reeves. Many of you know who he is. He was a professional MMA fighter. And after one of the elder meetings, he was an elder here, I, uh, you know, I was talking a little smack, as I've been known to do. And I said, you're not that tough, Rick. I outweighed him by like 20 pounds. I played football. I lift weights. I'm like, I can take you, Rick. You're not that tough. He said, let's go on the grass right now. I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. (laughs) I said, give me a year to train and then I'll fight you. Give me a year to train and then I'll fight you. And so I came home and I told my wife that I'm going to fight Rick Reeves. (laughs) And I bought boxing gloves and I got a couple people in the church who had done some uh, jiu-jitsu and some MMA and I had them start training me. And it was a few weeks of doing that when, and, and I remember specifically one time when I was doing some jiu-jitsu and I just got choked out in 30 seconds. And in wrestling with my own weaknesses and realizing I'm way out of my league here, I was humbled 
And I had to eat a big old hunk of humble pie and go to Rick Reeves and said, I'm not going to fight you. <laughs> and, it, and it changed how I talked to him. <laughs> With honor rather than disrespect. But that's, you know, I, I had to wrestle with my weaknesses first. Now apply that like spiritually and stuff. When, when you deal with men, the, your faults, your idolatry, your covetousness, your lust, it really changes how you talk to people when you see them struggling too. You don't, when you wrestle with your own weaknesses, you're quickly humbled. When you wrestle with, uh, you know, how hopeless you are, when you wrestle with your doubt, you are quickly humbled. You all of a sudden aren't the one who knows everything on this block. Um, And I think that sometimes the Lord will cause us or allow us to go through extremely difficult times or or have uh, long periods where we have backsliding simply to humble us, simply so that we would start treating other people with more honor rather than disrespect. So that's the first thing that'll do. The second thing that doing this, uh, dealing with the plank in your own eye, is it will soften you. It will soften you. When you know, when you deal with a plank in your eye, before you even approach somebody who has a little sliver in their eye, like, you're going to be like, dang, it really hurts to have a piece of wood in your eye. (laughs) And it'll soften you. You'll become more empathetic. You'll become more kind. The most harsh and critical people are the most self-unaware people on the planet. And when we notice ourselves getting harsh and critical with others, when you can hear it in the tone of your voice, it's just kind of biting and sharp. What it means is you're not soft to your own sin. You're not paying attention. You're not aware of your own choice. You've forgotten how bad it hurts to have fault and to be a screw-up. But when you remember how bad it hurts to screw up and to fail over and over and over again, it really softens you towards other people when they mess up. Um, There's a church that I I just did a leadership cohort with this last year called Austin Stone in Texas. They're a lot like Living Stones. It's probably because we're both stones and they're, they're a great church. They have five churches just like us. But one of their policies when they hire people and one of the questions they ask is, when's the last time you wept over the gospel? And if somebody says that they can't remember a time in the last year where they haven't cried over the gospel, they, don't, they won't hire them. And the reason being is because they say, we want our pastors to be soft to the fact that they are sinners. They're as vile as the thief on the cross, yet God loves them anyways. Like we want them to be soft to the fact that there is no human that deserves to be loved by God, yet he loves us anyways. They want, us to, they want people to be soft to the fact that they are just as messed up as the people they're, they're ministering to. And when they understand that and they understand God's love and they weep over the gospel, then they become soft and they become qualified to be shepherds of God's sheep. And so I, I think that that would be a good thing for us to apply. I know for myself that I am the most kind and gentle with wary sinners after a moment of grievous sin in my own life. I'm the most kind and gentle to husbands or to wives who are struggling within their marriage when I've blown up recently at my own wife and had to face that I'm just as bad too. 
And it's the same for all of us. It softens us to deal with our own sin first. The third thing is it qualifies us. Jesus said first, if if you look at um, verse five, he says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And then what does it say? And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So you're not a very qualified surgeon if you got this going on. <laughs> like, if you're, oh, I got two toothpicks here, all right. If, you got, if, you, if you're trying to help a brother out, they got a sliver in their eye, like you're not gonna be able to see precisely enough. Your depth perception's gonna be off. You're just not gonna be able to see it to get in there and get that sliver out. So if you deal with this first, then you can actually say, hey, brother, I see this. You're gonna approach them gently because you're soft towards them and you're actually gonna be able to help them take it out. And so I think the principle is this. You can't take someone where you haven't been. I tell this to our band all the time. Like, I'm like, hey, you guys, if you want people to be engaged in worship, to be connecting at the throne of Jesus when you are singing, you have to be there first. You have to go there on Saturday before you take them there on Sunday. You have to get your heart into that place. And it's the same thing when we correct one another. If you want them to be walking the path of truth, if you want to know what the truth is, you have to go there first. And then you will be able to say, hey, brother, this is the path. This is the way that you should go. Let me show you because I've walked with Jesus and I can see clearly to help you out. But you got to deal with your own stuff first. But when you do, it actually qualifies you. And then last thing, uh, that how this affects us is it is it forces us to surrender. Jesus says, if you give your pearls before swine, they're going to trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. If you give some pearls to swine, they're probably going to think it's food, and the pigs are going to try to eat it, and then they're going to hurt their teeth. They're going to spit it out, and then they're going to get angry at you and attack you. And what Jesus is saying is, is pretty simple. A pig will never appreciate pearls, just like a fool will never appreciate wisdom. And when you understand that, you won't continue to try to teach a pig how to appreciate pearls. You will surrender to the fact that in order for that pig to appreciate pearls, it doesn't need another rebuke. It needs a new life. It needs to be transformed from a pig into a human. And the reality is, is that there's some people who are just hell-bent on evil, and, and we love these people. And they're acting in really animalistic ways. And your continuing to just offer them this wisdom isn't going to help. You need to change your strategy. You need to surrender them to God and pray that God will transform them into a soft person who can understand wisdom. So you're surrendering them to God. You see, when you keep on nagging people, what it shows is you really don't think God is sovereign. You really don't think he has the power to change people. So you take it on you and your words to do that. And and then you take them and you make them your pet project. Let me just tell you, nobody wants to be made a project. And so what this causes us to do is it causes us to get on our knees and say, God, you know what? I've tried, but they need your transformation. They need you to give them a new heart. They need you to give them a new life. And when that happens, we surrender them to God. And so that's how it affects us. Now, why does this all matter? Why does God want us to quit hating and start loving? 
Why does he want us to show this kind of brotherly love in which we deal with our own stuff first? Why does he want us to, to not be casting condemnation on each other? The answer is simple. Remember at the beginning of the sermon, I said that the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus telling us how to make God's kingdom visible on earth. When his people are walking around condemning one another, you know what we're saying about God's kingdom? We're saying God's kingdom is one of condemnation. We're saying, you want to know what God is really like? He just wants you all to be condemned. But it's not true, is it? It could be furthest. I mean, that's so far from the truth. Listen to John 3, 16 and 17. It's beautiful. Jesus, said, Jesus is saying this. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The kingdom that Jesus comes to bring is not one of condemnation. It's one of salvation. Hallelujah. Like he doesn't, like Ezekiel 18, God asked his people, he said, have I pleasure in the death of the wicked? He says, no, I wish that they would turn and repent. God has no pleasure in condemning people. He has no pleasure in, in casting this condemning judgment. He is the judge and there will be a day when he judges the living and the dead, but he has sent his son first to be the one who takes judgment before he casts the judgment. Does that make sense? And so that's why it's so important. You see, because at the bottom line, the reason why we walk around and judge other people is because we have hardwired into our soul a need to be declared right and good. And so we think if we can bring the scales around with us everywhere else and we can look down at other people and we can point out other people's faults, it makes us feel really good, doesn't it? Let's be honest, come on. It really makes us feel good. That's why we love to gossip. That's why we love to, to point fingers at other people's fault is because what we're trying to say to our soul is, look, I'm better than them and somebody will declare me right. But here's the good news, church. You don't need that because God has already declared you righteous in him. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become what? The righteousness of God. When you accept what God has done for you, you are already declared righteous. So you don't have to go around pointing out other people's faults because it's just not as good as the righteousness that God has already given you. There's that funny commercial that's on, you know, when you watch Sunday football. It's with uh, Joe Magnelio and Sofia Varga. And they're sitting on, in first class. Have you guys seen this? It's a Hulu commercial. They say, never fly first class because it will ruin you for flying coach the rest of your life. <laughs> or James Harden is on a king-size bed and he says, never buy a king-size bed because it will ruin you for sleeping on all of their surfaces for the rest of your life. <laughs> and... What they're saying is when you do something that good, it ruins you for the other things that are much lesser. When, when you experience the righteousness that God freely gives you, you know what it ruins you for? Achieving your own righteousness by pointing out other people's faults. You're ruined. You, you say, the righteousness that God gives me is way better. I don't have to work for it. I don't have to earn it. I just receive it through grace. So therefore, I forsake all my judgment because I'm just living 
in the ocean of God's grace. That's the people that God calls us to be. And that's why it's called the beautiful way. Let's pray. Lord, we, we so desperately need your help. We need your help on dealing with our own stuff. We need your help on um, lovingly correcting each other. We need your help on surrendering people to you. But more than anything, God, we need you to help us receive the righteousness that you give us and to love that more than the self-righteousness that we try to establish for ourselves through judging other people. Grant us this grace. Grant us this mercy. In your name we pray.